Some of you are aware that <clears throat> this morning service is an especially full service. Uh, we're a few minutes behind schedule, but we trust that God operates both within and outside of our schedules. Uh, some of you probably don't want to hear that at this point, but this is my promise to you. I promise that I will be as efficient as possible with this time. Um, I value your time, and at the same time, it will be my aim to do justice as best I can uh, to God's Word. So this morning, we continue our theme on reaching out as a church in our sermon series for the month of October entitled, Street Lights, Letting Christ Shine in Your Neighborhood. We've already looked from Luke chapter 5 for two weeks in a row. We have talked about reaching out in hospitality two weeks ago. And last week we talked about reaching out in grace as we looked at Jesus' interaction with an outcast of his day, a leper. And this morning we stay in the Gospel of Luke. We move to Luke chapter 10 and we look at one of Jesus' more well-known stories. And that's the parable of the Good Samaritan. So I would encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 10. Now, I already know the temptation for many of us uh, when we hear something like that is that this is a story that most of you are very familiar with. You know the characters. You know the main point. And so it might be a tendency to kind of sit back and just to kind of zone out and and to come in and out uh, of this message. Uh, Or it may be a temptation not to look at God's Word and follow along like you normally would. But I want to encourage you not to fall into that trap this morning. Because something I have learned and something that I'm continuing to learn is that God's word is rich, it is deep, and I believe that if we approach it humbly, that God desires to teach us something fresh through it every time we look at it. So let's assume that God has something valuable for all of us this morning in his word. For those of you that like structure, I have structured this message around three questions, and two of which are asked verbatim of Jesus in this text. And the first question is this, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Question number two, who is my neighbor? An important question as we examine what it looks like to reach out into our neighborhood And number three, how should I treat my neighbor? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Who is my neighbor and how should I treat my neighbor? So let's look at this passage together now that consists of a conversation and a parable. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. 
Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now uh, seeking to hear from you. So speak to us now, Lord, through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Some of you may have heard of the lawyer named Odd. Mr. Odd. And all throughout his life, Mr. Odd was plagued on account of his name. He was the, the subject of all sorts of jokes and laughs. And so at one point he decided that he did not want to be remembered in his death in the same way that he was known in his living. Therefore, when he died, his uh, tombstone was inscribed with just these words. Here lies an honest lawyer. And as people today pass through that cemetery and and see his tombstone, they say to themselves, now that's odd. (laughs) Now, I can't take credit for that little uh, joke this morning, and some of you have probably heard it before. And if if you have, then thank you for uh, staying quiet until we reach the punchline. But here in this story, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is confronted by an expert in the law, a lawyer. And this lawyer wanted to test Jesus. Now, it's important for us to note that this lawyer was not necessarily just what we think of today when we think think of an attorney or a lawyer. He was a Jewish lawyer, meaning he was an expert in the Old Testament law of God. He was viewed as a religious leader of sorts in his day. And like other religious leaders in that day... He wanted to test Jesus, and so he comes to Jesus with this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And that's our first question to tackle this morning in our structure. What must I do to inherit eternal life? A good question, a question that we as believers sincerely hope that people will ask of us. Talk about ready-made opportunities for evangelism. Somebody comes to us, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this is a good question, it really is. In fact, in some ways, it's a far better question than what we often ask in evangelism. Do you know where you will go when you die? Nothing wrong with that question. But eternal life, you see, speaks of endless life. But it also speaks to the quality of living that we as believers have now. We don't want to forget that we will spend eternity with Jesus, with our creator in heaven. That's, that's a fantastic thing. But don't forget, don't minimize the freedom and the fellowship that you as believers have with your creator today and every day. So he asked this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But we know his motives were bad. He didn't really want to know the answer. In fact, he, he in some way, some sort of way already knew the answer. And he gave it. But he wanted self-justification. He was coming to Jesus as a religious man, a good man on the outside. And he wanted Jesus to tell him how good he really was. And this is not the way we want to approach Jesus. And this is not the way that we ever want to approach his word, God's word. Because 
when we sincerely approach God's word, desiring for God to speak to us, we will never walk away with a good sense of self-justification, of self-righteousness. Instead, we ought to approach God's word desiring God to evaluate us. Because we'll realize that every time that, we're, that we honestly allow God to examine our hearts in light of his word, we realize that we are grossly inadequate, that we do not live up to the standard of God's law. Nevertheless, this man thought that he did. And so he asked Jesus this question, and Jesus responds with a question of his own. He says, what is written in the law, verse 26, how do you read it? And then this lawyer, this expert in the law, responds. And he responds with a good summation, a good summary of what is behind the entire Old Testament law of God. He wasn't incorrect in his answer. In fact, he gave the same response that Jesus gave when Jesus was pressed by the religious leaders in Matthew chapter 22. And that was this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He was correct in his response. But he wasn't correct in his understanding of the heart of the law. Hear these words from 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 through 21, speaking of loving God and loving our neighbor. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love our brother. You see, when we rightly understand what it is to love God, a natural response is to love those around us, to love our brothers, to love our sisters, to love those that we come in contact with. And so at this point, Jesus affirms this lawyer's answer. This lawyer who had faulty motives that wanted to test Jesus. He said, love the Lord your God and and love your neighbor. And Jesus says, verse 28, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now this strikes some of us as a bit odd Because we're so used to hearing about sin and about grace and about coming to God through Jesus. After all, didn't Jesus say, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me? And so here Jesus is saying, love God and love your neighbor and you will inherit eternal life. Well, which place, Jesus, were you telling the truth? Don't these two things contradict themselves? Do we come to God through the law or do we come to God through Jesus? And the answer is that Jesus was telling the truth in both places, and this is why. Because theoretically, there are two ways for all of us to be right with God. And number one is to obey the law fully, to love God with all that we are, all of our being, our will, our emotions, our mind, our abilities, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, i.e., to never sin. But the reality is that nobody has ever done that except Jesus, the Son of God himself. And so the only way for us sinners now to be right with God is to trust in the person and the work of Jesus Christ for salvation. 
And so this is why Jesus responded as he did. We all fall short of God's standard. We all fall short of of the law that God has laid out. But the problem is not with the law. The problem is with us. Remember Paul's words in Romans chapter 7? He said that the law is holy. The commandment is holy, righteous, and good. The law is spiritual. But I am unspiritual. Paul recognized that he was a sinner. I hope today that you recognize that you're a sinner. The lawyer in this story did not recognize that he was a sinner. He came to Jesus wanting a pat on the back for a job well done. And so in verse 29, we get to his real question. His real question wasn't, how do I inherit eternal life? He already knew the answer to that. His real question was, and who is my neighbor? Our second question for this morning. And who is my neighbor? Now this question was asked of this man because he wanted to delineate between those that he was responsible according to the law to love and those that he wasn't. He wanted Jesus to further flesh out this issue Showing again that he had been obedient to the law. Again, it was an issue of self-justification versus self-evaluation. Every time we approach God's word, every time we study scripture, every time we read scripture, whether it's in our personal reading or study, whether it's uh, in a Bible study group or Sunday school or In a Sunday morning service, we ought to approach it humbly. And as the people of God, we ought to approach it desiring God to examine us. This is what we sang about already this morning. Search me, O God. And this is what we looked at just a few weeks ago at the end of Psalm 139, where David asked God to, to search his heart, to know his intentions, to reveal any sin in his life. And this is because when we're honest with ourselves before God and his word, we desire to be in closer fellowship with our creator. And so we want God to examine us and to reveal any sin in our life so that we can confess it and turn back to him in fellowship. And so with this second question, and who is my neighbor, Jesus responded with a story. But before we look at that story, We need to realize that this man, this religious man, this expert in the Old Testament law, got it right conceptually. He knew the right answers. But knowledge is insufficient. We must be grasped in our hearts by the love of Jesus Christ. And I honestly believe that there are a lot of people in churches today, in good churches, that know all the right answers, who know a lot about religion and a lot even about Christianity, but have never truly had a heart change, who have never truly been captivated by the grace of God as it's been displayed in Jesus Christ. Have you been captivated by Christ? And so in response to the second question, and who is my neighbor, Jesus told this story. He said that there was a man going down the road from Jerusalem, 2,500 feet above sea level, 
down to Jericho, about 800 feet below sea, below sea level. And so on that 17-mile journey through the rocky desert, this man was descending down over 3,000 feet in elevation. And while he was traveling that road, he was attacked by robbers. And he was beaten, and he was, be- he was stripped of his clothes, and he was left for dead on that road. And then three different individuals encountered this man in a helpless condition on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. And the first was a priest. He was a descendant of Aaron, like other priests. And like other priests, his duties included overseeing temple worship and sacrifices. And he was also responsible for uh, determining the will of God as it's been laid out in his word and, and, and teaching the Old Testament law of God and blessing the people of God. But as he encountered this helpless man on the side of the road, he went along on the other side of the road. Perhaps to stay ceremonially clean in case this man was dead. In fact, uh, if he didn't come near him, he may not have known if he was still alive. The, The text says that he was left half dead. And so he passes by on the other side of the road, maybe not approaching this man because he doesn't want to have to make the decision whether or not to help this man. Either way, we don't know. But we know he passes by on the other side of the road. And next, in verse 32, we see a Levite. Remember that the tribe of Levi was the only tribe in the Old Testament to stand with Moses after the people of God had worshipped the golden calf. And so as a result of that, God set them aside. He set them apart to assist the priest in sacrificing and in temple worship. And so once again, this was a religious man. This is... Somebody whose status made him acceptable in the eyes of the Jewish people. Yet he did the exact same thing as the first man. He passed by on the other side of the road. Now at this point, those hearing this story would probably have expected some sort of anti-clerical or anti-religious twist. Because Jesus, after all, is talking to an expert in the Old Testament law that's trying to test him. Uh, He's already uh, condemned the the priest's behavior and now the Levite's behavior. But all of a sudden, with a sharp contrasting conjunction, in verse 33, but a Samaritan is introduced. But a Samaritan as he traveled. Remember that Samaritans and Jews hated each other. There was a mutual hostility between them. That Jews looked down upon Samaritans as half-breeds, both physically and spiritually, because they had intermarried with the pagan Assyrians. Nevertheless, this Samaritan does the exact opposite of what the priest and the Levite do. Where they pass by on the other side, he goes to the man, and he quickly takes on an undesirable task. He bandages the man's wounds. He pours on wine to clean them. Believe it or not, wine in that day did have alcohol in it, hence the cleansing. And then he puts oil on the wounds to soothe them. And then he puts the, the injured man on his own donkey. And he takes him to an inn where he pays for two months lodging out of his own pocket. Risking his own 
financial well-being by telling the innkeeper, take care of him, and when I return, I will reimburse you any extra expense that you may have. And so after Jesus tells this story, this parable, he does semantical surgery on the lawyer's second question. You see, who is my neighbor is not nearly as good of a question as am I a neighbor? Am I a neighbor? Putting the emphasis on what we do. Now we all love Mr. Rogers and Mr. Rogers' neighborhood was a step in the right direction. It was, it really was, where he had this television show and he invited everybody to come in. Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you come in and make yourself comfortable and, and be my neighbor? And we saw this a little bit last week, how this applies to us as, as a church. We make sure that this place is welcoming to outsiders, welcoming to lost people, people that are very different from us from whatever perspective, whether it's a, a different Uh, nationality or racially or different uh, social class or economic class, we want to make sure that we welcome them here and that we have an attitude uh, of grace and humility as we invite them into worship with us. But that's not quite far enough. That's a good thing that we need to be about, but we also need to be proactively going out there and engaging people Treating them as neighbors. You see, this lawyer wanted to know who possessed neighborly status. This was his real question. Jesus, who am I obligated by the law to treat as a neighbor? But Jesus left no conjecture on that that issue. You see, status is a non-issue for believers in Christ. It was a non-issue for Jesus. And so we must go out there. We must get out of our own neighborhood, looking for people to treat as neighbors, to extend the love of Christ, to befriend, to show grace, to show mercy, and to spread the kingdom of God. In summation of this parable, I want to leave you with three attitudes that are characterized by individuals in this parable. And I have to confess that these are not original with me. Uh, I got these from Alistair Begg, who is uh, a pastor of uh, Parkside Church in Cleveland, Ohio. And he, he used these three statements, which I found very helpful. And the first attitude characterizes the robbers, and it's this. What's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. What's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. Now, most of us don't consider ourselves thieves. I, I hope not. Uh, I hope you don't make it your practice to go around stealing other people's things. But how often... Have all of us been characterized by wanting, by coveting what is others' possessions? By wanting what other people have? And the second attitude is characteristic of the priest and the Levite. And it's this, what's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. What's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. And if we're honest with ourselves, this is probably where most of us find ourselves most of the time, keeping the vast amount of resources and, and space and time and, and, and toys and clothing and food and money for ourselves rather than finding ways to disperse it to those outside of ourselves that need it. And then the last attitude is the attitude of the Samaritan. And it's also where we find the answer to our third question, which is how should I treat 
my neighbor. And it's what's mine is yours, and I'm going to give it. What's mine is yours, and I'm going to give it. Giving away our excess to those that need it. Becoming a neighbor to those that are in need, both spiritually and physically. Listen to these words from Luke chapter 6. Jesus' words from Luke chapter 6. Beginning in verse 32. He said, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Now, if we miss this, stay with me here, because if we miss this, we will depart from here today, and we will fail miserably at loving God and loving our neighbor. We love our neighbor because our Father is merciful. Did you hear that? Luke 6, 36, be be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, to us, we are kind to others. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But because of his great love for us, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even while we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Friends, We may not have been beaten and left for dead on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, but every single one of us was beaten by the lure of sin and temptation and the devil and left for dead on the wide road, the broad road, the way of destruction. And in that moment, God stepped into our neighborhood and he dwelt among us and he acted as neighbor to us healing us, extending grace to us and loving us. And far before the first Samaritan was ever born, God was characterized by the attitude of the good Samaritan by giving us what was only his. And if we miss that, we will never be faithful to God's command to love our neighbor as ourselves. In conclusion, I want, to, I want to ask you two questions, to leave you with two questions. And I hope this morning that you've seen that because God acts as neighbor to us, we are to act as neighbor to others. Because God acts as neighbor to us, that's our motivation. That's our impetus for acting as neighbor to others. So here are your, your questions in conclusion. Do you know the love of God as it has been displayed through Jesus Christ? Do you know the love of God as it has been displayed through Jesus Christ in your sin, left for dead, rebelling against God, 
outside of God's will, outside of fellowship with him, and God came to us, dwelling among us. Has Christ captured your heart? And question number two, are you a neighbor? Is it your desire to go out into the world and to befriend others and to show them the incredible love of God because you've experienced it yourself? And if God has spoken to you this morning in the realm of either one of these questions, we want to know about it. Because as a church, we want to come alongside you and we want to celebrate with you. And we want to pray with you and to partner with you for the sake of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if God has spoken to you in the realm of either of these questions, in just a few moments when we stand and sing, I invite you to come and you let us know that so that we can rejoice with you. This lawyer heard the truth 2,000 years ago. And we've heard God's word this morning. So I leave you with the same admonition that Jesus left the lawyer. Go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father God, once again we come before you thanking you for another day. Lord, thanking you most of all for another day of salvation. Lord, I pray that anyone that doesn't know you, that has not been captured by the love of Christ, whether in this place or beyond, Lord, I pray that decisions would be made this morning, that people would trust in you for salvation. Lord, I also pray that you would remind all of us of the great love that you have shown us in Christ, that you would remind us throughout today and throughout this week that you have acted with love toward us, even when we didn't deserve it. So Lord, may it be our desire, may it be our aim to go out and to love others in your name because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.